Peace be upon you. Let's say me and you want to exchange messages, and we're concerned that a third party might intercept this message and reveal all our secrets. So beforehand, we get together and we decide we're going to encrypt our messages using a simple key. What we're going to do is we're going to shift over the alphabet all by one, such that A becomes B, B becomes C, C becomes D, and such and such. And this becomes our encryption key. So now when I go to send you a message, rather than sending it in plain text, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this encryption method that we came up with, encrypt the message, and since you know how I encrypted the message, you're going to work in reverse and decrypt the message to see what I sent you. So now if a third party intercepts that message, all they're going to see is gibberish. But there's a fundamental problem with this form of encryption. The fact is me and you have to meet beforehand and come to some sort of consensus on how we're going to encrypt this message. If hypothetically we couldn't meet or someone um, intercepts uh, our encryption method, then our entire system falls apart. So is there a way for us to communicate uh, an encrypted message without both of us having to meet and exchange a common secret beforehand? And there's a solution for this. It's known as public key cryptography. The way public key cryptography works is each individual generates what's known as a private key and a public key such that anything encrypted with the public key can be decrypted using the individual's private key. And what makes this so compelling is the fact that the public key is broadcast to anyone who wants it, while the private key can be maintained uh, for the individual and is never shared. So therefore, someone can generate their own secret and share a portion of it for anyone who wants to communicate with them securely to use to encrypt a message to them, knowing full well that they're the only recipient who can unlock that message. So now if I want to send you a message, irrespective if we communicated beforehand or not, what I can do is take your public key, encrypt the message using your public key, knowing full well that you are the only individual on the entire planet who possesses the private key to unlock that message. Now if a third party intercepts this message, again, all they're going to see is gibberish. There's some other interesting phenomenon that takes place with uh, public key cryptography. And that's if you send me a message and you encrypt it using your private key. You'd say, what's the, what's the purpose of doing such a thing? Well, when you encrypt it with a private key, anyone can use your public key and do two things. One is they can verify that you are the sender of this message because you alone possess that private key. Two is that they can use your public key to validate every letter and every word and every phrase of this message knowing full well that the message you sent was exactly what you intended to communicate, that no one intercepted and changed that message. So keep this in mind. Now what's fascinating is this entire field is known as cryptography. Cryptography is to convert information into a cipher or code, especially to prevent unauthorized access. And the root of the word cryptography comes from cryptos, which in Greek means hidden concealed secret. Now, this sounds an awful lot like the Surah 74 entitled Al-Mudathir, the hidden secret, which God tells us about the number 19, which is used as the common denominator of the mathematical structure of the Quran. That's going to prove to anyone who has an open heart that this book, without a doubt, is from the Lord of the universe and every letter and every word has been preserved. So God uses a similar form of cryptography in the Quran, but it's far beyond anything of human capability. In Surah 17, verse 88 through 89, it reads, Say, if all the humans and all the jinns band together in order to produce a Quran like this, they can never produce anything like it, no matter how much assistance they lent one another.
We have cited for the people in this Quran all kinds of examples, but most people insist upon disbelieving. What this verse is telling us is that the Quran is far beyond anything that all the humans and all the jinns could ever produce. That it's beyond human capability. And this is one of the challenges for anyone who doubts the authenticity of the Quran. Now most people when they received this challenge, they were thinking only in regards to the literary excellence of the Quran. And they had no idea about the mathematical structure of the Quran preserving every letter and every word. So how does God's cryptography work? God has sent us a Quran containing His message, a clear revelation to all of mankind. And God also has a public key and a private key. The question is, what is God's public key? We already specified this in Surah 74 verse 30, it's the number 19. The number 19 is God's public key to mankind for us to unlock God's message. So what's God's private key? Just like any other private key, a private key is kept to oneself, it's not shared. So only God knows his private key. And in Surah 6 verse 59 it says, With him are the keys to all secrets, none knows them except he. So only God has the private key. So when God has sent us this Quran, he encrypted it using his private key. And when he did this, we can use his public key, the number 19, to do two things. One is to verify the identity of the sender as God, Lord of the universe. Two is to verify the authenticity of the Quran, that every letter, every word, every phrase, every surah, every chapter has been preserved since the day of its initial transmission to Prophet Muhammad, that nothing has been altered. But there's one piece, and again, this goes beyond anything of human capability, that despite being able to verify every letter and every word, being able to read the text in plain text, being able to authenticate the sender of this message, there is no guarantee that the recipient will understand this message. See, God sent his message to all of mankind. In Surah 68 verse 52 it reads, It is in fact a message to the world, meaning everyone receives the message from God. Irrespective if they're a believer or disbeliever or a hypocrite, they receive the message. And what's interesting is anyone who receives this message can read the message in plain text. They see the first verse, In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. But if they lack this key, they will not be able to understand one verse of this Quran. So what is this key that's necessary to unlock God's message? In Surah 56 verse 75 it reads, I swear by the positions of the stars, this is an oath if you only knew that is awesome. This is an honorable Quran in a protected book. None can grasp it except the sincere. If we want to unlock this message from God's book, we must be sincere. Sincerity is our private key to unlock God's message in this protected book. That if we are insincere, what happens is we read this book and we won't gain anything from it. But if we're sincere, we will be able to unlock this book and obtain the, the wisdom, the enlightenment, the healing, the mercy that it provides. And for everyone else, they're blocked out. In Surah 47 verse 24 it reads, Why do they not study the Quran carefully? Do they have locks on their minds? In Surah 83 verse 7 through 20, God tells us about the Sajin and the Eliyin, the book of the wicked and the book of the righteous. And he tells us that these are numerically structured book. It reads, indeed, the book of the wicked is in Sajin. Do you know what Sajin is? A numerically structured book. And in Surah uh, 83 verse 17, it reads, indeed, the book of the righteous will be in Eliyin. Do you know what Eliyin is? A numerically structured book. 
meaning that this book, this Quran, will lead to righteousness and will lead to wickedness. And it's up to the individual which book they unlock. Because God tells us about three people in the Quran, three kinds of people. One is the one who's righteous. These are the individuals who are sincere. When they receive the Quran, they will recognize the Quran as if they recognize their own children and will be able to unlock the wisdom and enlightenment in this Quran. Then there's the disbeliever who receives the Quran, but they reject it outright. They, they don't want to see any of it. They don't want to listen to any of it. But then there's the third group, the hypocrite. The hypocrite reads the Quran and thinks because they see it in plain text that they understand the Quran, but they fail to understand that anything of it, that they misunderstand everything. And when they go to apply the Quran, they can't apply it correctly. In 1782, it reads, We send down in the Quran healing and mercy for the believers. At the same time, it only increases the wickedness of the transgressors. Whatever it is that's inside our heart, this Quran is going to bring out. Either you're going to believe and draw closer to God, or you're going to disbelieve and draw further away. There's a quote I really like. It reads, When the wrong man uses the right means, the right means work in the wrong way. Meaning, when the hypocrite attempts to use the Quran, which is the right means, they can only use it in the wrong way, and it only backfires against them. In Surah 3, verse 154, it reads, God thus puts you to the test to bring out your true convictions and to test what is in your hearts. God is fully aware of the innermost thoughts. Whatever we harbor in our chest, this Quran is going to expose. This life is going to expose. God is going to bring out so we can see for ourselves what we're made of. So this brings a very scary thought. How do we know we are sincere? Everyone believes that they're virtuous, they're good, they're kind. No one's going to think that they're an insincere person. But there's certain questions we can ask ourselves. The first one is we ask ourselves, because this has to do with cryptography, do we possess the key to unlock God's message? And God clearly enough gives us the key in the first surah of the Quran entitled Al-Fatiha, the key. And it tells us, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, Praise be to God, Lord of the universe, most gracious, most merciful. It's telling us who is God. God is most gracious, most merciful. He's Lord of the universe. Then it tells us about the day of judgment. It says master of the day of judgment, meaning that there is going to be a day we're all going to be held accountable. And then it tells us about the qualities of leading a righteous life. It says you alone we worship. You alone we ask for help. Guide us in the right path, the path of those whom you've blessed, not of those who have deserved wrath, nor of destroyers. That only God we ask for help. Only God we ask for guidance. No one else can provide this. And this is the same thing that's spelt out in Surah 2, verse 62 and 569, where it tells us, what is the quality of a submitter? It says, surely those who believe, those who are Jewish, the Christians, the converts, anyone who, one, believes in God, two, believes in the last day, and three, leads a righteous life, will receive their recompense from their Lord. They have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. That if someone fulfills these three basic requirements, that they will be granted sincerity, that they will be able to unlock God's message. But what else is there? The question is, when we read the Quran, are we looking to confirm what we already believe or to what God is telling us? There's a story of a psychiatrist who had a patient, and this patient was convinced that they were a corpse. So week after week, the psychiatrist would meet with this patient and try to convince him otherwise. And finally, he had an idea. During one of the sessions, he asked the man, he says, do corpses bleed? And the individual responded that, of course not. Blood is something that's necessary for the living, not for the dead. At which point the psychiatrist grabbed the pin and pricked the patient in the, the finger. 
and the patient looked and saw a drop of blood come out. And he said, huh, I guess corpses do bleed. And the takeaway from this is the fact that if we are only going to follow our own opinion and not listen to reality, not see what's in front of us, we're never going to be guided. The way God designed the human being is whatever it is that we believe, we're going to find reasons to confirm that belief. And we're willing to distort reality to make that uh, belief come to uh, fruition. In Surah 19, verse 75, God tells us, Say, those who choose to go astray, the most gracious will lead them on until they see what is promised for them, either the retribution or the hour. That is when they find out who really is worse off and weaker in power. Surah 19, verse 76, it reads, God augments the guidance of those who choose to be guided, for the good deeds are eternally rewarded by your Lord and bring far better returns. The takeaway from this is whatever it is that we choose to believe, God is going to allow us to go on that path. And the reason is because we have this pitfall that's known as confirmation bias. We're going to find everything to confirm what it is that we already believe. And God warns us about this in Surah 2, verse 88. says, some would say, our minds are made up. Instead, it is a curse from God as a consequence of their disbelief that keeps them from believing, except for a few of them. Meaning that there's nothing you can show someone who is uh, suffering from confirmation bias that's going to convince them otherwise. And we have to be trying our utmost to try to see the truth for what it is, to put our cognitive biases aside. The third question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe we need another source in order to correctly understand the Quran? God tells us in the Quran that it's complete, it's fully detailed, it's clear, it's for all the believers. In Surah 6, verse 114 through 116, it reads, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he's revealed to you this book fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hearer, the omniscient. If you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture. They only guess. God is telling us repeatedly in the Quran that the Quran is fully detailed. It's our only source of law. It's our only source of salvation. That nothing shall abrogate God's word. So if we're setting up a source beside the Quran, it shows that we do not believe in God. Many people believe that you re it's required to have hadith and sunnah in order to understand the Quran. As if you have to filter the Quran through hadith and sunnah to gain the guidance. This couldn't be further from the truth. God tells us in Surah 39, verse 27 through 29, says, We have cited for the people every kind of example in this Quran that they may take heed, an Arabic Quran, without any ambiguity, that they may be righteous. God cites the example of a man dealing with disputing partners compared to a man who deals with only one consistent source. Are they the same? Praise be to God, most of them do not know. These disputing partners are the Hadith. You find numerous contradictions in them. This makes trying to filter anything through Hadith and Sunnah completely unachievable. But if you deal with one consistent source, the Quran, you could filter everything through that and be able to find guidance. In Surah 21 verse 10, it says, We have sent down to you a scripture containing your message. Do you not understand? The message that the messenger was authorized to provide is the Quran. To think we need any other source, any other teachings from the messenger in order to understand the Quran is not believing in God's system. We take everything we learn in life 
uh, our own education, from our own life experiences, and we filter that through the Quran, not the other way around. And only through that can we understand guidance, can we gain guidance from God, because God is the only source for our salvation. The Quran is the only guidance He provided us in order to unlock His message. To think that we need additional sources in order to understand the Quran is showing that we don't actually believe in God, let alone believe in the Quran. In Surah 17, verse 45 through 46, it says, When you read the Quran, we place between you and those who do not believe in the hereafter an invisible barrier. We place shields around their minds to prevent them from understanding it and deafness in their ears. And when you preach your Lord using the Quran alone, they run away with aversion. If we cannot handle being satisfied with God alone, the Quran alone, it shows that we do not believe in God, we do not believe in the hereafter, that we don't want to lead a righteous life. And because of that, we'll be blocked out. It shows that we're insincere. We will never be able to unlock God's message. This brings us to the next point. Are we steadfast? The example of a believer as a diamond is very profound because a diamond just comes from a lump of coal. But under immense pressure over time, the carbon bonds crystallize, forming a diamond. And the way you can distinguish a fake diamond from a real diamond is a couple ways. One is a fake diamond cracks under pressure. Two is a fake diamond. It looks flawless, but it's this attribute that it appears flawless shows that it's not a real diamond. A real believer, on the other hand, takes time to learn, to understand, to grow in submission. This is not something that happens overnight. Many people think that by order, by going to these other sources, Hadith, Sunnah, teachings from the messenger, that they can expedite this process. But it doesn't work that way. God is the teacher of the Quran. In Surah 55, verse 1 through 4, it says, The most gracious teacher of the Quran, creator of the human beings, he taught them how to distinguish. God is the one who teaches us the Quran. God is the one who opens up our heart, gives us the right understanding. Again, if we are not sincere, if we don't apply the right mechanism, it doesn't matter how we try to apply the right deed, it's going to come out in the wrong way. In Surah 20 verse 114 says, Do not rush into uttering the Quran before it is revealed to you, and say, My Lord, increase my knowledge. In 5.101 it reads, O you who believe, do not ask about matters which if revealed to you prematurely would hurt you. If you ask about them in light of the Quran, they will become obvious to you. God has deliberately overlooked them. God is forgiver, clement. Learning the Quran and applying it to our life is a gradual process. We can't try to cut corners in this regard. We have to try to perfect our religion, give it the time it needs to come to the correct understanding. If we think that we found a shortcut by finding an additional source that's going to give us the right answer faster, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not employing the tactic that God is telling us in order to show that we're sincere. In Surah 2, verse 153, it says, O you who believe, seek help through steadfastness in the contact per salat. God is with those who steadfastly persevere. This is the criteria of being a believer, is that we steadfastly persevere. We don't look for quick material gains. We, do, we stay on the path knowing full well that this is a long process, that when the time is right, God is going to provide us the correct understanding. And until then, we're patient, and we try our hardest to be a good submitter, to grow in submission to grow our love for God. And this brings us to the final point. Are we using this life to our fullest to perfect our religion? God gives us the example of Solomon, 
who fell in love with material possessions. And in Surah 38 verse 32 says, He then said, I enjoyed the material things more than I enjoyed worshiping my Lord until the sun was gone. Now Solomon corrected this action, but we have to ask ourselves, do we appreciate the material possessions more than we appreciate God? Because if we do, then it shows that we are lacking in sincerity. There's a Netflix documentary, it's called Euro Dreams of Sushi. And it's about an 80-year-old man who spent the last 60 years of his life trying to perfect the art of making perfect sushi. And in one of the quotes he reads, We don't care about money. All I want to do is make better sushi. I do the same thing over and over, improving bit by bit. There's always a yearning to achieve more. I'll continue to climb, trying to reach the top, but no one knows where the top is. Now, are we this diligent when it comes to our practices in submission? Are we trying as hard as Jiro to perfect our religion? One of the examples in the documentary was showing an apprentice who spent 10 years working in the kitchen before they would even allow him to cook egg sushi. 10 years, he just worked diligently in the kitchen, doing what he was told, trying to get that ability to be able to offer to make egg sushi. After 10 years, he was finally offered the opportunity to make egg sushi, and the first 200 attempts were rejected. And he said after it was finally accepted, he had tears in his eyes, and he said he didn't care about the accolades from his colleagues. It was the fact that he was able to perfect this one craft of being able to make egg sushi. Now, five times a day, we prostrate and perform the contact prayer salat to glorify our, our Lord. This is one of the greatest blessings that God has provided mankind. And we have to ask ourselves, are we as diligent to ask ourselves, how can we perfect our Salat? Euro spent 60 years and he says he still doesn't know where the top is. And he's thinking of new ways of how he can perfect making sushi. Now, each day when we perform our Salat, are we thinking, how can I be more reverent? How can I draw closer to God? How can I be more open to uh, the message, to, so God can open up my heart. And if we do that in each day, inch by inch, incrementally we grow in our submission, then God willing, God is going to give us the guidance and admit us back into His kingdom. In Surah 6, verse 162, it says, Say, my contact prayers, salat, my worship practices, my life and my death are all devoted absolutely to God alone, Lord of the universe. And then Surah 17, verse 80 through 81, it reads, And say, My Lord, admit me an honorable admittance, and let me depart an honorable departure, and grant me from you a powerful support. Proclaim the truth has prevailed, and falsehood has vanished. Falsehood will inevitably vanish. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.